What do you picture when you think of aging well? Daily energy and vitality, a healthy sex life, maintaining your ability to heal and regenerate. Berkeley Life's team of nitric oxide experts are dedicated to making products that make these visions a reality. Their once-a-day supplement supports nitric oxide levels in your body. It's one of my personal solutions to better cardiovascular health. You can access it when you head to agewellbl.com slash Hoffman and use offer code Hoffman at checkout. Nitric oxide is a foundational molecule for health and is responsible for supporting a healthy cardiovascular and circulatory system. It's never too early to start aging well. Head to agewellbl.com slash Hoffman and use offer code Hoffman at checkout for 10% off your first order and free shipping. That's agewellbl.com slash Hoffman for Berkeley Life Nitric Oxide Support Supplements. agewellbl.com slash Hoffman. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. It's our weekly compendium of questions. Questions come to us via radio program at AOL.com. Uh, with me is my co-host, Layla Mutin, who is our nutritionist in residence. We work together uh, in our practice in Manhattan, and we work together endeavoring to answer your questions once a week. This is a, one of our popular podcasts because you never know what the questions will be, yep, and it could be something that's quite pertinent to yeah. you or one of your loved ones or mm-hmm. friends. So listen up for information. Radio program at AOL.com. How you doing, Layla? Okay, Dr. Hoffman. How are you? All right. Well, uh, I'm uh, preoccupied with news from hmm. uh, Eastern Europe as the Russian onslaught continues in the Ukraine. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to provide a little bit of a health perspective on this. I, I touched upon it during my radio program uh, this week, mm-hmm. but uh, I wanted to bring this up. Uh, I have in front of me an article that was prepared by the RAND Corporation. The RAND Corporation, a big think tank. Yeah. And I, I have a special uh, affinity for the RAND Corporation because it was one of the cottage industries in my town of Santa Monica, California, when I went to elementary school and junior high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, I, I went to school with some kids whose parents were uh, were, were experts at the Rand uh, Corporation, you know, mm-hmm. which you know, has been impugned because they did a lot of military research. They did, you know, uh. it came out in the Pentagon Papers that they were implicated in war planning for Vietnam and all this stuff. But they... They oh, do boy. studies. They do studies on, on international issues mm-hmm. and scientific issues. And, uh, you know, rather than comment on, uh, you know, ain't it terrible and, uh, you know, about the war, which we all acknowledge is the case, uh, or analyze uh, the pattern of injuries caused by uh, cluster bombs, you know, that's a medical issue, too. Uh, I wanted to focus on uh, health trends in Russia, mm. uh, which is the basis of an article that was written in the early 2000s by the Rand Corporation. It's entitled Dire Demographics, Population Trends in the Russian Federation. And what they say, and this is a a trend that I think has continued, is that Russia's in trouble uh, from a health standpoint. Uh, They actually have negative growth, and negative growth puts a terrible strain on an economy, Mm -hmm. uh, which, I don't know, maybe that 
uh, is part of the imperialistic drive. You know, what are you going to do when your country's failing? Take over other countries. Maybe, you know, Ukraine has got, it's got minerals. It's got an educated population. It's got, you know, uh, it's got some industrial mojo and economic mojo. So yeah, let's take them over because maybe that's the solution to Russia's woes. Mm. But uh, what they found is that uh, between 1987 and 1994, the number of annual deaths in Russia increased from 1.5 million to 2.3 million. Wow. Deaths going up. Uh, mortality increase has been concentrated among working age males. Why in particular? Uh, the strong link between mortality and alcohol consumption for Russian males. They drink a lot. A lot of vodka, yeah. A lot of, and, and, and the, the Russian army travels on alcohol because you saw in the, where they were like taking over these towns in Ukraine, they had like, in the, the garbage was like bottles, empty mm-hmm. bottles of vodka and whiskey, mm. uh, you know, that, that fuel the, the army, you sure. know. Uh, sure. I don't know to what extent that would be the case, you know, if, if in the United States Army <laughs> would say, here's your daily vodka ration, you know. Right. Uh, so, wow. they, they, so they got a problem. They tried to do something about it in 1984 to 1987. There was an anti-alcohol campaign. They basically, they raised prices for liquor. Uh, they uh, launched efforts against uh, home distillation. You know, it's like, oh, moon, wow. like moonshine. Yes. You know. But they still have moonshine there, you know, like in the Kentucky mountains. Right, you know, right. You, you think know. it was prohibition or something? Yeah. Wow. So, but that they gave up on that in the in the eighties, and uh, they say other causes of death uh, include uh, accidents, injuries, and violence. And Which rate, will happen after drinking. Associated with drinking, <laughs> six times the U.S. rate. Oh my! Now we have plenty of accidents and we have plenty of violence, but Russia is six times the rate. Wow. And also, that's influenced by alcohol. And, and they also yeah. have uh, deaths due to infectious and parasitic disease five times the U.S. rate. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a couple of things. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a, unquestionably, you know, there's, the Russians minimize this and the Ukrainians build this up. Mm-hmm. Thousands of Russians have been killed. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's no doubt about it. Is it 20,000 or is it 1,500? The answer probably lies somewhere in between, probably towards the high side. Yeah. Given that there is a ratio normally in combat of about three to one uh, deaths versus wounded, uh, you know, recall the devastating impact that IEDs yes. uh, in a much less hot war had. Because during the entire time of our involvement in Iraq and Afghanistan, mm-hmm. we lost less than the Russians lost in a month in deaths. Wow! But there was a terrible toll because. All these guys were coming back shattered. Yes. They were amputees. They, they were people with, uh, uh, you know, uh, post-traumatic uh, uh, syndrome, mm-hmm. you know, shell-shocked. Yeah. Uh, you know, seeing their buddies blown up, seeing uh, people killed, uh, experiencing the fear in the battle zone. Yeah. Uh, exposure to chemicals, because there's a lot of chemical exposure. Yeah. You know, if you... Uh, a lot you know, of toxic like, explosives. It's toxic fires and explosives, mm-hmm. uh, inhalation of this stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and in addition to, uh, you know, literal, uh, amputees. Yeah. A lot of, uh, you know, double amputees, triple amputees. Mm-hmm. The difference is that I think the U.S. military does a better job of medevacking people and, uh, getting people to care centers so that only mm-hmm. the, the most heinous injuries succumbed. I mean, there's just miraculous tales of survival because they have such a good 
system of evacuating, uh, triaging, and mm-hmm. then they send, uh, uh, you know, via plane uh, to centers like Landstuhl in, uh, in Germany, where mm-hmm. they have very modern facilities. I mean, maybe they didn't have the, the most up-to-date facilities in, you know, in Afghanistan and Iraq. Yeah. But they would evacuate people to hospitals where they have phenomenal care. And then we have a system of caring for people who have bad injuries. We have, uh, you know, wonderful uh, rehabilitation programs and yes. VA hospitals. We have private initiatives like Tunnels to Towers. Yes. And we have philanthropy, like Wounded Warrior, and we yeah. take care of those people. Mm-hmm. Russia does not have the capacity to deal with that. And that's yeah. going to, that is, you know, in addition to the, the, the coffins or the body bags that are coming back, it, there's going to be, uh, it's, it's going to be messaged to the Russian populace in these rural areas that these soldiers are recruited from, often mm-hmm. from poor families, that something pretty heinous is going on. Yeah. And it, it, in spite of the censorship, it's going to, you know, each uh, wounded soldier is going to be like an emissary of the terrible effects of this war. Yeah. Uh, you know, in addition, they did some extremely foolish things. Like, they took over Chernobyl. Like, let's take over Chernobyl. Oh, and let's dig some trenches, and let's send our military vehicles helter-skelter across the landscape. Were, were there still radiation were there still being radiation? emitted from I mean, these the are, 80s? These are dead zones, Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, the Russians' fault, because the Russians then were in charge of Chernobyl, and they covered it up, and they, you know, mm-hmm. it was, uh, you know, design flaws in the reactor that caused this, mm-hmm. along with a, a long cover-up of the, of the, the actual uh, severity of the situation. Uh, and so these soldiers have been exposed to radiation. How many? Maybe hundreds, maybe thousands. Will there be long-term effects? Will there be proper aftercare for them? Yeah. Uh, so the Russian medical system uh, is actually, they have really good medical training in Russia. Mm-hmm. They just don't have enough resources. And typically doctors make less than, you know, the Russian equivalent of an Uber driver. Yeah. You know, they have a surfeit of doctors but poorly paid and poorly resourced Mm -hmm. now there's some probably some centers of excellence there but they don't have enough in the vastness of russia to accommodate uh the sick people and so they suffer from substandard care yeah Uh, and then there's the the you know the the uh care for the uh oligopoly there you know Mm -hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. for the, the very rich people can get superb care. And often they go to European places. Well, they won't sure. be able to, they won't be able to go to Paris, London, uh, New York, uh, for care, you know, uh, or Germany for care. The oligarchs will. Well, they, but there's, there's an embargo. There's going to be, to some extent, some, uh, redlining of their travel arrangements. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, Probably not much. So, well, it, you know, it's going to no. be leaky. It's, it's going to be, be leaky. leaky. Okay. Uh, but there, it's going to at least pose some barriers to excellence of care. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, Russian, uh, you know, with the economy suffering, they won't have a lot of money to plow into social services there. Mm-hmm. A lot of money is going to be plowed into the military. I don't think it's going to end well for the health and welfare of the Russian people, yeah. which was already on the skids. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on this Rand Corporation study, and also you know many well-known uh, uh, reports mm-hmm. uh, of what's going on there. Wow, wow! So that's really something. 
That's quite thoughtful, Dr. Hobman. That's quite insightful. Well, I want to call it your opening statement okay. for this well, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, but it, it's, a, yeah. it's a medical perspective. Yeah. You know, regardless, yes. you, you know, who's rooting for the Russians, very few and far between. But, you know, the, mm-hmm. the net effect on the health of Russians yeah. is, is the focus of this. And uh, it, it, I mean, not to mention the health of the Ukrainians, but sure. uh, the prediction is that uh, the U- Ukrainians will get a lot of support and a lot of aid. Uh, Where is that going to be forthcoming for the Russians? Yeah. Uh, they have to rely on their own resources, exactly. which are stressed and mm-hmm. strained. Mm-hmm. And we're even prior to the war. Even prior to the war, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, we're watching, the world is watching as it all unfolds then. Yeah. Yeah. So, good point before we take questions to allow one of our sponsors uh, this opportunity to share a vital message with you. Here goes. As you know, it's important to me that the supplements I recommend and use are of the highest quality. That's why I stock the Protocol for Life Balance product line at my online dispensary. Protocol for Life Balance offers a wide range of professional-grade products using ingredients backed by strong scientific research. Among them, several stand out for their support of aging healthfully. PQQ glutathione, and alpha-lipoic acid. PQQ helps support your heart and brain function and promotes robust cellular energy production. Glutathione supports proper cellular detoxification and healthy immune function, and alpha-lipoic acid helps maintain your neural health and helps preserve optimal blood flow. Each of these products takes its own unique approach to neutralizing free radicals and protecting us from oxidative stress as we age. They're only available from healthcare practitioners, but they're available to you at drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance. That's drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance for more information and to order. Thanks for listening and thanks for supporting our sponsors. They want to make intelligent medicine continuing free resource to you. And now let's tackle some questions. This comes from Bob. Hi, Layla and Dr. Hoffman. I was recently asked a question about whether HDL levels can be too high would you be concerned about an HDL level of 121 if the LDL level was 116 and triglycerides <laughs> wow. about 75? This is an interesting instance where very rarely HDL is higher than LDL. Yeah. Yeah. That is, right? So HDL of 121, LDL 116, and triglycerides of 75. That's very good. Right. And Bob is asking, this person in question is female, about 65 years that's old. Ex- so, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. In, in women, especially as they age, they can have astronomically high HDL. cholesterol and HDL. Yeah, yeah. So the LDL is quite low at 116. I would say that it's very likely this person has nothing. Could I say that with 100% assurance? I don't know that much about the person. There could be other factors. Sure. Uh, the person's height and weight, whether they have insulin resistance. Probably not because triglycerides often are a reflection exactly. of insulin resistance. Triglycerides are uh, nice and low. Do they have... Uh, do they have uh, hypothyroidism? Yeah. Any, I mean, this is a setting where we would see a higher HDL. Quite possibly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that HDL may also, a very high HDL, like this, 121 is quite high. We've seen 101, 102, but I believe um, there was some question or some theory of HDL being this high in the setting of toxic burden. Yeah, if there is some toxic burden being, we keep getting in the bo- uh, variations in the on this theme of you know like uh, it's kind of like can you have too much money? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, the yeah. 
very high blood levels of HDL cholesterol may actually be bad for you. Uh, and it's but, also the particle size. Yeah, but I think it's a rarity that high HDL is bad for you. Um, mm. Research, they say here, as I look it up, the research linked it to a higher risk for heart attack and even death among patients who already had heart problems or who faced a higher risk of developing heart disease. So I think it, it's sort of like, uh, let's put it this way. If you have heart disease and you have a high HDL, uh, the HDL is not necessarily reassuring because you've got heart disease in spite of the high HDL. But yes. It, uh, I would, you know, just uh, in abundance of caution, I would probably do an EBT heart scan. I know I sound like a broken record, but get your calcium but it's a good, score. Yeah, it's a good get test. Your, get your calcium at, a, at 65. It's a reasonable age. It's the first time I checked mine, I was relieved to find mine was zero. Mm-hmm. In spite of a fairly high cholesterol. Cholesterol runs about 220. HDL runs about 70. Um, and, uh, you know, I had zero plug. Yeah. Great. Great. But, so know, get it checked out. Yeah, get it checked out. Bob, thank you for that question. We have one from Michael. Oh, just, just, yes. just, just excuse me. I'm going to add a little bit to this. Yeah. Uh, I just, what causes extremely high HDL levels? Actually, chronic alcoholism. Oh. Uh, estrogen uh, therapy will raise HDL. So uh, HRT, possibly. But, but HRT also raises triglycerides, which is not good. Extensive mm. aerobic exercise, which is, you know, that's always good. And treatment with niacin uh, can raise it. Um, so, there you go. We know a small amount of alcohol and a good amount of exercise both can raise HDL. Eating more fat can raise HDL. But to this much, too much alcohol, that's interesting. Yeah. I know that will definitely raise triglycerides. That wouldn't be this person with triglycerides of uh, yeah. of 73 or 75. It was 75. So, that's very interesting. As well. Okay. And of interest is that they, they came up with some drugs that artificially raise HDL. I thought, this is going to be great because HDL is good. They artificially raise HDL. The garbage truck, so yeah. to speak. But, but then it did work. They do raise HDL, but it did not have an impact on cardiovascular risk. So artificially raising mm. HDL is not necessarily beneficial. Just like artificially lowering LDL. Or it's artificially not. lowering blood sugar, you know, sometimes is not, mm-hmm. you know, uh, associated with mortality mm-hmm. decrease. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Radio program at AOL.com, the destination for questions. Hit me with another. This is from Michael. Hi, Dr. Hoffman, Layla. I've been taking 100 milligrams of resveratrol. I'd like you to comment on all the cautions from a Dr. Cooper of Consumer Labs mentioned in his report about it. Uh, high doses of resveratrol may cause mild GI symptoms like nausea and diarrhea. Because they had about everything. They, exactly. Yeah. High doses Anybody, of... High doses of anything will any, cause that. Like too many pills. Yeah. Short-term studies of resveratrol and healthy volunteers show no serious side effects, but long-term safety has not been well evaluated. You can say that about anything. That's true, too. So, and that study, uh, uh, there was a study in patients with multiple myeloma was suspended due to unexpected safety events, but that study used a proprietary formulation of resveratrol Hmm. with uh, known as some other, I'm I'm not going to say the name of it, which is an experimental drug, not a supplement. So it's not really about... It's a little bit, you know, I think it speaks to the the work of Dr. David Sinclair, who's a Mm. longevity expert, Mm -hmm. who uh, is like Mr. Resveratrol, Mr. Sirtuin. Yes. And uh, It was called Cert 501. Sartine. Oh, okay. 501. Yeah. So, 
he endeavored to create drugs that were patentable because mm -hmm. resveratrol is in the natural domain, not patentable. And he would tweak the yeah. molecule to come up with a patentable alternative, like a super resveratrol that could be become a drug, a prescription. Yeah. And it did not work out for GlaxoSmithKline, mm -hmm. which who, uh, invested $700 million in an effort to come up with the ultimate wow. cardiovascular longevity drugs yeah. uh, that did not really pan out. So uh, I have to say resveratrol uh, is a little bit of a controversial realm. I mean, there's no question that red wine that's rich in resveratrol has some protective effects epidemiologically. Uh, I've come to... But uh, question a little bit resveratrol. Yeah, uh, but not that it's bad. I don't no, think no, it's no. bad. Agree, agree, agree. But you, you're not getting enough resveratrol from a glass of red wine like right. would be in a Mediterranean diet. You'd have to drink five bottles. <laughs> well, then you could just go to the hospital. Right. You know. Then you so, just, you wouldn't die of heart disease. You get cirrhosis a little bit. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Uh, another some other research that Michael uh, mentions here. Uh, resveratrol, particularly the transform, has mild estrogenic ac activity that's not been evaluated in humans. Well, I love when they say that all this stuff so, is happening in mice. Right. So what do we what do we know? And there is mixed evidence from laboratory animal studies as to whether it inhibits iron absorption Brr. or Brr. any of that kind of. Yeah. Well, exactly. Uh, there is mixed evidence, so it's not conclusive. Right. That's not conclusive. I, I wouldn't. I don't think there's harm. Yeah. Uh, the question is yeah. as to its uh, efficacy. Is it a miracle drug? Is it the uh, the French paradox? You know, it was. It's yeah. actually one of the first nutraceuticals that got popularized in the 1980s mm -hmm. uh, because it was kind of a, the idea is like, oh, if a food is good, let's find out what's in the food and let's extract it, concentrate it, standardize it, and give put it in pills. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, but uh, the French just. Keep on, you know, keep on drinking their red wine and smoking their galois, and they seem to do fine. They don't. They say, oh, they, they get li they get more liver disease. Though. Right, these the, Americans they, they take. <laughs> there's no pleasure. They take the pills. <laughs> That's pretty good, <laughs> Michael. Thank you for that very very thoughtful question. I, would you would you advise Michael to continue taking 100 milligrams of resveratrol? That's fine. I would. Yeah, yeah. I take resveratrol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. Here's from Danny. Uh, the subject is MK4 and MK7. This mm. is in the vitamin K matrix. Mm -hmm. Is there any overlap between these forms of vitamin K2? In other words, is MK4 only for bone health and MK7 only right. for heart health? It's like, no. it's like Chinese boxes. It's like, okay, there's vitamin K, and then there's K1 and K2. Right. And then within K2, there's exactly. MK4 and MK7. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Help us out with that. Well, MK4 is more like a trans, it's more like an intermediary in vitamin K metabolism, number one. Number two, MK4 in a supplement is not that well absorbed. You'd have to take it more times a day as opposed to just taking one dose of MK7, okay. whether it be 180 microgram or 300 okay. microgram. 300 is, is, and more, we're looking more, more to uh, cardiovascular pre prevention exactly. and bone augmentation. And bone augmentation. Mm -hmm. And both forms you're going to find in, you know, all the matrix of vitamin K in your natto, uh, in your in your dairy products, in meat. But especially aged dairy products, yeah. Aged dairy products, right. yes. Like, Fermented uh, stuff. Uh, the hard cheese. Hard cheeses, the mm -hmm. aged cheeses and mm -hmm. things like that. And in red meat as well. And K1 is more the, the dark green leafy vegetables. I always say 
you want to get all of your K, have a steak, mm-hmm. a salad. Maybe you'll have blue cheese dressing on the salad. With, if you're with the exception, dairy. if you're on warfarin, you get to yeah. somewhat restrict it, but don't True. eliminate it. Don't eliminate yeah. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Danny, thank you for that question. Oh, here's an, here's another good one from Kathy. Hi, Dr. Hoffman and Layla. How does cholesterol fluctuate? For example, if you have a blood test and you ate McDonald's the night before, would it be higher than if you ate a really clean okay. diet mm-hmm. the previous couple of days? Well, you know, let's talk a little bit about it because I actually have an article coming out uh, soon on triglycerides. Mm. And what happens after you eat a fatty meal is the fat particles, they become very tiny and, they're, yes. and they cause what's called lipemia. Mm-hmm. And lipemia, you can actually see lipemia in a test tube. It's, it, it's like when you take... It's when your blood looks like a milkshake. Yeah, your blood like sample. a strawberry milkshake. Yeah. But a better example is, and this comes from, again, when we're talking about Russia, borscht. You know what borscht, borscht is? Oh, borscht yeah. is like a beautiful uh, blood red color. Oh, yeah. And then you, put, you, you store in a little sour cream. Maybe put some chives in there, you know. And uh, that it, and then it becomes pink. Yes. And that's the way blood looks like after a fatty meal with yeah. people who have lipemia. Mm-hmm. Not everybody has lipemia. Some people tolerate fat and clear it very quickly, which is a sign of a good metabolism. Other people have trouble clearing fats. But you will get transient lipemia. Yeah. Now, we, the question is not about triglycerides. The question is about cholesterol. Mathematically, one-fifth of your triglycerides gets added to your bad cholesterol. Your LDL. It's actually VLDL. VLDL. Your non-HDL cholesterol. Very low density lipoprotein. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if the difference between your fasting uh, triglycerides is 100, and after a meal it's 200, uh, you've added 20 points to your cholesterol Ah. automatically from Uh the triglyceride contribution. Right. So... um, that's uh, the temporary effect of a very fatty meal. Yeah. Not so much on cholesterol. The cholesterol, I don't think, hangs around that long. I don't think so either. Yeah. And the other thing is, is the cholesterol will take maybe a little more time to change. Uh, You know, when we make dietary changes, often cholesterol, it takes a good six, maybe 12 weeks to change over. And it's not just the contribution of what you put in your mouth, because only one... Seventh, I think, of your cholesterol is dietary. Exactly. It's, it's synthesized. It's synthesized by the liver. In fact, 80% of cholesterol is synthesized in the, mm-hmm. in the liver. Mm-hmm. Why? It's a necessary substance. Right. Our brain, our so, cell membranes. So that's why the effect of exercise on cholesterol. Yeah. Because it changes how the liver manufactures cholesterol. Yeah. It, the liver will make more HDL and yes. less LDL. The... Cholesterol made in the liver also operates on a bit of a negative feedback loop, meaning if the liver kind of, quote, sees that there's enough dietary cholesterol coming in, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to amp up that much. So that explains this. uh, I mean, I remember an article in the New England Journal of Medicine, the classics, where some guy ate like like 40 eggs, uh, uh, you know, like uh, a day or something. Some, he was, he he had schizophrenia, so he just ate eggs, 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 eggs. And then they checked his cholesterol, and it was like 175. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Now, here's the extreme, the other side of that. High cholesterol is seen in anorexics, in people with that eating disorder, anorexia nervosa. So they're eating no cholesterol at all because they're fat-phobic completely. They're not even taking in enough calories. So the liver's having to make all this cholesterol to save itself. Like a compensatory Yes, 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 yes. yes, Interesting. So it's not just a matter of... You ate McDonald's yeah. last I night. Th- the point is we're not passive receptacles for what we eat. No. You know? 
We're uh, not. We Nutrition is not like plumbing. We, we transform what we eat. So, for example, yes. you eat a very low cholesterol diet, you could have a high cholesterol. Yeah. Because, especially if it's carby, and yes. especially if it's a lot of fructose, if you're drinking a lot yes. of soda, if mm-hmm. you're having a lot of fruit juice, that goes right into synthesis of triglycerides, which yes. in turn impacts cholesterol. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think people need some education about that because it's like, totally. you know, that was the whole selling job they did on the low cholesterol diet. I always, which is a yeah. Huge scientific mistake. It's, I, you know, how can people trust in vaccine science and in COVID science mm-hmm. when they've so botched it in terms of dietary science? Exactly. And that, that watershed study that Ansel Keys did of the seven countries. There were originally 22 countries. You just the right, you know. But the other countries didn't fit yeah. his narrative yeah, 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 on yeah. the, la- yeah. I want to blame saturated fat for cholesterol right, right, right. theory. That's what happened there. And this is the kind of integrity that's not existing in science now for decades. Follow the science. Follow, follow the science. science. Yeah, 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 yeah. Follow the money. Yeah. Kate. Okay. Thank on. you for that very we're gonna, thoughtful question. Yeah. We're going to uh, hit pause because we divide our podcast into two parts. Uh, this is part one. Part two, give us a preview of what we're going to tackle. My left calf is throbbing. Mm. Wasn't what, there, why is this random twitching happening in my calf muscle? Wasn't there a movie called My Left Foot? I think it was, Yes. Yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis. Or something. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. okay, My Left Calf. <laughs> Coming up. Uh, <laughs> my Left In a theater calf. near you. <laughs> People go to still go to movies? Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Come, uh, in part two, I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.